Good morning, everyone. While we're solving the technology here, if possible, could you turn in your scriptures, please, to uh, two uh, books of the Bible. One is uh, Galatians and one is Ephesians, and I'll detail those in a minute. We're working our way through a series, for those who haven't been with us each Sunday, entitled Believe. And we're in the third section of this series. Uh, the, the three parts are divided into three verbs. Think like Jesus, act like Jesus, and become like Jesus. We're in the series this morning on uh, the, the part which talks about uh, becoming like Jesus in our character and in our behaviors. I'd like us just to enter into the context of what we're talking about this morning by reading two scriptures. One from the book of Ephesians, chapter, uh, chapter 1, and verse, uh, reading from verse 13. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession uh, to the praise of his glory. When one becomes a Christian by faith and accepts the Lord as their personal Savior, something unintelligible to us, but we hope will become more clear to us as we work together with this this morning. God himself comes and dwells within us. We were talking about that in communion, and it's such a complex idea that the God who made the heavens, God who made the earth, God who made us, would choose to not so much dwell in buildings that he had built for himself, or this one for that matter. He chose to indwell his people. And through that indwelling, he conveys to us uh, a, a, a power, an empowering, but also a character that, he, that God is working in us to be like him. So these, these are magnificent thoughts, and uh, we could spend all morning just on those verses we read. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22 is, a, is, another, is the other verse that talks about this section or most of what we're talking about in this section of believe, and it's uh, the list of Christian virtues taken uh, from Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 22, among some other uh, scriptures as well, of course. I want you to notice and think as I read this list that this is not about the fruits of the Spirit. It is about the fruit of the Spirit. So when you listen to the list, I want you to think not so much of these as synonyms, even though it appears that would be the case. A good tree brings forth grapes or olives in Jesus' time. We are all olives. We are all grapes with the same characteristics is the plan of God. He wants each one of us, in other words, to be like Christ. He wants us to be like him in all of these aspects. The other thing I want you to think about when you read these uh, characteristics is, and we've been doing that Sunday by Sunday, is they're not synonyms. They're different aspects of the grape. And all of these and each of these are to be ours with the help of the Holy Spirit working through the Word of God and teaching us not just what to think, 
but how to be and therefore how to behave. For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, and here's our two for this morning, kindness and goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against these things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the old sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And that's our prayer uh, for each of us this morning, that we just humble ourselves before God's Word, before the Spirit of God. And as we learn together, let, let us together commit afresh to be aligned with the Spirit in what we value, what we have as our character, molded by God, and hence live in such a way uh, for Him. I'd like you to read with me the key thought uh, that's before us this morning, uh, underneath kindness and goodness. Let's read it aloud uh, together so we have it in our uh, delicate brains. I choose to be kind and good in my relationships with others. The fruit of the Spirit, kindness and goodness, of, of which are two, are to be evident in our inner being. Jesus taught that out of your heart, out of your mind, out of your soul, is what you see on the outside. And so we don't want to be too metaphysical about this, but we want to know that who we, who we are is, who, is what we behave. And uh, these uh, are true of each of the fruit aspects that are, are in that list we read and some others as well. Each and every one of his, the Christians, are to be part, each one of these, uh, for each Christian, is to be, I'm mumbling here, to be part of the sanctification process. We need each of these to be growing in us. No one has arrived. No one's perfect. We're all in this boat together of seeking to improve in God, to have Him work in us and us yield to His working in us such that we become like Him in our character and in our behavior. Now, when we come to kindness and goodness, uh, these words are almost used simultaneously and synonymously. Many people just glance over the list and say one's the same as the other. They're, they're not the same in Scripture. Even in common day usage, they're, they're, they're different a little bit, but in common day English, we almost use them interchangeably. One of the things when we come to Scripture we need to do carefully is to look at how we use a word today and how it was written in Jesus' day uh, and the words he used. To Jesus' words mattered. We'll see that this morning. Each individual word has a meaning, and it is different, very different than we use them today. So don't just fall asleep. Oh, kindness, I know what that is. Goodness, I know what that is. Hang on for a moment, and we'll see if we can challenge ourselves in that regard. As young preachers say today, we're going to unpack these words a little bit, and then at the end, we're going to pack them together again and see how they interleave together. But we're going to look at them first individually. Our key question that's before us in this series is what does it mean to always do the right thing in my relationships with others? We're going to try and answer that at the end, but we're going to start with what, does the, what do these things look like in the first place? I look at you, 
You look at me. Do I see kindness in the biblical sense? Do I see goodness in the biblical sense? And I'm not looking at you. I'm, I'm only looking at me as I've been preparing this. The key verse that we have uh, for the series, and we've been doing this for each, uh, each t- topic each week, is taken from 1 Thessalonians 5 and 15. The Apostle Paul, Make sure that no one pays back wrong for wrong, but always be kind to each other and to everyone else. So let's begin with the questions of uh, what is each of these uh, characters, what do they look like, and how do I measure up to uh, what the Scriptures teach. I usually start trying to understand in my study what the word means to us today. And I went to the Internet like any good researcher these days and looked up the word kindness in the, dic- in the online dictionary. And I got this profound help in my... The, it's the quality or state of being kind. I said, oh, this is going to be a long road and that's what you're thinking this morning too. Working through a lot of definitions, I came to my own definition of kindness that, that if you look through all of the meanings and applications of the word, there are three qualities to kindness that uh, stand out to me at least. First, it's the quality of being considerate for others. Secondly, it's friendly. And thirdly, it's generous. And who but, uh, well, who but, we'll come to that later, but uh, the, one of the people that came to mind uh, for me was Mother Teresa, who lived a very kind life to everyone she served, including her Lord, uh, that she had the quality of being intentionally considerate of others. Not just when kindness is not just uh, doing a kind thing once a year for somebody. It's It's your nature. It's being always intentional and considerate of others. Friendly in your outreach to others and reaching out in a relationship with others and being generous. And just in case you think this is just for the outside time when we're in the public, one of the best ways to evaluate yourself is in your home, in your relationship with the people you're with, relationship to your husband, wife, your children. Are we always these things in the intonation of our, in our language, our approach, our, our um, my wife's sitting here and she's uh, checking this all off for our discussion later on. <clears throat> The, uh, the way the word is used, I think, in kindness is, I'm not going to go through for the sake of time all of the examples, but all of the, the usage in modern, modern times has to do with being a kind friend, helping them out in some way, providing them with some, uh, some resource that they don't have and require, uh, and so on. But when we come to the scriptures, oh, sorry, one, gotta follow the slides here. The, uh, it's interesting that in our modern world, uh, kindness has been surveyed quite a lot. In fact, there's some kindless, kindness curriculum in the US, some of the U.S. schools to uh, try and teach young children to be kind together. A forum research poll commissioned by the Star, this is a Canadian source, Toronto Star, found that kindness was the number one value parents and grandparents hoped to pass on to their children. I found that a very interesting survey result, that that's what they were looking for as they taught their children, or at least they claimed to teach their children. But then in a poll done around the same time, a Harvard poll 
uh, came up with an interview of, I think it was 10,000 young people in high school settings. And uh, this question was similar, and it came out that almost 80% of youth picked high achievement or happiness as their top choice, while roughly 20% selected caring for others. That's an astounding split between what people think they would like to do for their children and the gap is what they actually have conveyed to their children. This uh, is something that we need to be really challenged with in our own behaviors as to how we approach this topic. What does Holy Spirit kindness look like? We've seen a little bit of what it means in the world, but in the scriptures there's always a an element of what it means in terms of our relationship with God. And every word that we've been working through has that element that even if the word is used the same in Scripture, it has a connotation uh, that, or the meaning that's driven by the relationship between God and His people that He made. In the case of the Holy Spirit kindness, Uh, One of the places that this word is used in Scripture is in an unusual place that I wasn't expecting to find it. The Greek word is krestos, and it kind of sounds a bit like being like Christ, doesn't it, Uh, in Greek. And he said to his disciples, my yoke is easy, is what we usually think of in that verse. He says, my yoke is kind. My yoke is a display of kindness in you. Now, whenever we see the picture of the oxen, we pity them, don't we? We really don't think that this is a good picture for Jesus to teach by, getting a, loading ourselves with a, with a big burden on our backs and we have to, at the crack of a whip, be pulled along doing a work in the fields. But Jesus picked up everyday examples and what he was trying to say to his disciples primarily was, I'm going to seek you to be my own. I want you to follow me and I want you to work with me. I want you to be, first of all, in a relationship with me and then work with me. I should have said that. So when he is loading us, he's telling his disciples, my yoke is kindness. I want to be in a relationship with you. I want you to work with me as my disciple And we want to share the burden together. That's the primary picture of the yoke. It's two oxen sharing the load together. God wants to share our burdens and our loads, ease those burdens, and achieve his purposes in our lives. That's where kindness definition starts with Christ. Interesting, huh? Ephesians 2 and verse 7, under this same question, Paul, speaking for the Lord, said, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So here this word kindness with those elements we talked about, being intentional, purposeful, considerate of others, and and looking to exercise that, uh, that in the favor of other people is what this kindness from Christ is about. We read this morning in communion about how uh, kindness is a response to the riches of the grace of our Lord to us. It's his response to his love for us. It's a response by him to us for the work he wants to do in our lives. That's his kindness. He's He's seeing us in our need and he 
had a plan right before the creation of the world. He had this plan knowing that men and women would be sinful, that they needed redeeming, they needed saving, and they they needed to be saved from their situation of sin and shortcomings before him in order for him to be back in a relationship with them. That's his kindness. He had that plan, that intention, that purpose. And he moved to fulfill that need by being so generous to us as giving us, uh, giving on the cross uh, a sacrifice and a payment such that we could be returned to him and in a relationship with him. It goes way beyond that in, in dealing with his people. He clothes us with holiness. He clothes us with goodness. And we're going to come to that soon. But it starts with his kindness to us, says the scripture, in, uh, in the riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. We were thinking this morning in communion as well about how this is his work. And he is going to display his work in eternity by having his people there with him. That's the result of his kindness. We have a we have a tremendous hope. We have a tremendous lot as Christians to have this hope of being with living with God for all eternity. And that hope drives us and it all originated uh, with the kindness of Jesus Christ. I'd like to you know notice another scripture too in, in finishing this section. Titus chapter three, verse two. Paul writing, he says, To slander no one, to be peaceful peaceable and considerate and to show true humility towards all men. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived and and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. Just think about that portrait for a moment. Don't think of any, don't put any names beside it just now. But look at the portrait of what is the opposite to kindness. We often learn the meaning of something by looking at what it doesn't mean. And in kindness, we just had it here by the Apostle Paul. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of any righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. We don't earn our salvation. We receive it by faith in the, in the Lord who was kind to us in bringing salvation to us as a free gift. We don't come to church to earn points. We don't try to do things or give things or or be things in order to win the pleasure of God. It was his initiative. It was his kindness, his intentional, purposeful, making a way for us to be his people for now and for eternity. To summarize this just a little bit in a slide, the definition as item one is being considerate, kindly, friendly, and generous in our actions towards others. God's kindness, as we've seen, is rooted in his pursuit of a yoked relationship with everyone he made, and this came through his love and his grace and his mercy. It's bounded by his holiness, and we're going to come to that when we look at goodness a little bit further. I don't have time to go into that in much detail. We see it exampled by Jesus in his healing, in his helping, and of course in his saving of the people. And opposite to kindness was bitterness, malice, and selfish ambition as also uh, we read. If we look at the next question, the same as the first, what does Holy Spirit goodness look like? In the case of 
goodness, we, we use that regularly and frequently, and so does Scripture. It's a very much, it's a much used word, and everyone thinks what it means. When you go to the dictionary, uh, they, they, uh, go through a whole list of things that characterize good, but they really don't define good most of the time. We look at the scriptures and we come across the use of word and the description of our Lord who came to us as the good shepherd. Now, when he came as the good shepherd, that immediately gives us a biblical context that he came very much unlike the religious leaders of the time. They were bad leaders. They were bad shepherds. And he gives the reasons why they were. And when he came, he came as the good shepherd and will Look at, I just love that picture. That's why I put that in here. If you look at the current usage of goodness, you have a whole list of things that uh, we talk about good. And we've been listening to Trump, for example. Had to work him in here. He talks about the good deals he's going to bring into place, right? We talk about good fruit, which the Scriptures do as well. Uh, we we talk about good talk about good behavior to our children. Some of us talk about a good joke, but I'm told for some of those that do, they don't know how to tell them. And and so on. We we use this word and we think we know what it means. The, uh, I just underlined two that I came across in the Oxford Dictionary: conforming to a standard, and that standard for our context this morning is being virtuous, right commendable, a good person, and so on. You can look those up on your own to detail them. But this whole word notion of conforming to a standard is mostly what that word good means. If you think about it, uh, a good deal, well, that's on a scale of 1 to 10. It's on the positive side, at least. There's another word in Greek uh, used for good that is actually is the highest end of the scale, which is excellence. And we'll look at that in a moment. But it's conforming to a standard. And that standard is not only known by the person, it's acted upon the person, it's acted upon by the person in favor of the others that they're in a relationship with. Are you with me? Good is a standard, a subjective evaluation of what we're looking at, and how does that look for us in our relationships, uh, in our behavior in our relationships with others. The Greek word, I'm just noting those, there's two strong numbers for the real students that want to look at further. Uh, number 18 and 19, you can find the Greek words in, in Scripture. And here is a summary of it given. And I want to just highlight a few things about where this word is used in Scripture. 3a for one is a good conscience. Our conscience is our internal monitor built into our brain. What we feed that monitor is how we judge our own behaviors. The Bible also, unfortunately, talks about a seared conscience. The more you sin, the further away your conscience is as a measure of being good before God. And, and I just highlight uh, that one uh, as, a, as a scriptural use of the adjective good. It's used preeminently of God as consummately and essentially good. The rich young ruler went to him and said, Good teacher. What good works must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus told them, there is no one good. No, not one. Only God. And uh, that's quite a statement of setting the standard. 
That standard for the Christian is not just, I hope I'm good enough to get to heaven. The standard is God himself, as the one who is absolutely good, is the standard by which we are to measure ourselves uh, as his people. He is preeminently and consummately, don't you love those long words, good. And for us, it denotes the soul or the mind considered as the repository of pure thoughts, the thoughts of God, which are brought forth in our speech and in our action. So what is good for the Christian? What is upright, honorable, and acceptable to God? And many verses uh, listed there for you in your studies later. There's another common word, and unfortunately the translators of the scriptures uh, don't refer to this common word differently than the word good, but it means intrinsically excellent. It's something that is beautiful, something that is the top of the charts and excites us when we see it. It's the word kalos. Uh, But we're focusing on the one from Galatians chapter 5 this morning. So what does Holy Spirit goodness look like? A high moral quality as valued by God's standards and evident to others in our relationships and behavior. God's goodness, of course, is rooted in his moral perfection. This moral perfection was expressed in the creation he made. It was then expressed in the laws that he gave to the Old Testament people. And then it was fully displayed to us in the Lord Jesus Christ when God became a man in the flesh to demonstrate to us what God was like. And we see in in the Lord some kindness and and goodness, and we're going to look at that in a moment. It's part of his salvation offer, this goodness. We're thinking this morning about a, a verse that talks about the white sheet that came down from heaven. And that white sheet that envelopes everyone who become his. And then that same white sheet, that sheet, and this is in picture form in the book of Acts, that conveys us to heaven. God imputes to us when we become Christians his holiness, his goodness. It's stamped on your forehead. You are now a Christian. You are in the goodness of Christ going to be in his presence forever. It's not something we are trying to do in our sanctification process to get us to heaven. It's what he gives to us as a gift of our salvation, uh, trusting in him for uh, all that he has for us. And it's his goal for his people. You can look at a graph on a chart and look at how we hope we are moving forward as Christians in the sanctification process and becoming more good and more kind and more loving and more joyful and more peaceful and all of the other fruit of the Spirit. And we ought to see our Christian lives in the context that we are improving. Now, Peg will tell me, let's get out your KPI and put it on the fridge this afternoon. And every I see elbows going back and forth and so on. But it's the Lord's goal for his people that we will become like Christ in all of these aspects. And when we have the Spirit of God, we will have the empowerment by him to move in this direction. I want us to look at the difference a little bit between kindness, and they're not different, but for uh, for the Lord, he displayed his goodness in, in a couple of ways. The first, I, I picked a couple of tough examples here, and I recognize that, and I'll just introduce them to you simply. Jesus, when he was on earth, was always good. If he wasn't always good, he wasn't God. He was always good. And he always was all of these things that the Holy Spirit are bringing to us. So don't get caught in the trap when you read these stories that when you put them all together, somehow they're different and 
his goodness overcame his kindness. And you'll be surprised how many commentators and people who speak about scriptures divide God into different parts. Well, he was a God of anger and talking about anger, when he cleared the temple, there was not any anger in this action. It was goodness in this action. When he cleared the temple, the the story is that the uh, the religious leaders of the day had converted his temple into a place of commerce. And we could go on and on about why God saw that as wrong. But he did. And he acted. Some say that he was... It was the one time when Jesus was out of control and angry with the people. Well, his anger was all, if, if it is there, it's always under control and it's always in conformity uh, to that standard of goodness. He was trying to do what was good for the people he had called to be his own when he came to that temple, the dwelling place of God. And he walked through that temple and he started to see what was wrong and he cleared it. No, he wasn't in a rage as he was overturning the tables. You don't see that reaction by the people who saw him doing those things. They said, who are you that you think you have this authority to clean up the temple? It was the zeal for God's house to be good in every respect. And he cleared the people who were making it something different. What does his goodness look like? His goodness in action showed that he had the standard his standard in play, and his people, his leaders that he had put in place over the children of Israel were not doing what they were to be doing with God's house. That's a big challenge for us. The second one is, what does Holy Spirit and goodness look like in a second event? Where Jesus was brought, uh, before Jesus was brought, a woman caught in adultery. And you know this story well. We, We know that the uh, very people who brought them were involved in it. And Jesus' goodness was shown in this way. And let's take careful note of that for ourselves. The woman was there, you can picture it, and Jesus writes down, stoops down on the ground and writes on the ground on two occasions. We don't, we don't know what he wrote exactly, but we know that he was the finger of God. I am God, I wrote that law on stone tablets for you to measure yourself against to see if you are genuinely mine and genuinely good. And you leaders have violated that. And then in kindness, he turns to the lady and says, has anyone condemned you? No one. Neither do I. Here's his kindness in action, trying to bring salvation not only to the Jewish leaders. He wanted them to see their sin in clear form, the problem is they never accepted him as the Messiah. The, the people who did respond to him, he forgave their sins. He wanted a relationship with them, and he wanted them to trust him uh, as their own. What does Holy Spirit goodness look like? It's Jesus' standard, perfect standard of high morality, uh, of the absolute perfe- perfectness, righteousness being conveyed to us to know how we are to measure ourselves up when we talk about ourselves as being kind and good. Our time is gone. Uh, I'm going to just, there's two more questions I would like you to think about, and I'll just outline them, and a little bit of a recipe for where to go from here. How do the qualities of Christ become our qualities? 
Okay, we see that we have a big gap. How do they become it? And John, uh, John records in his Gospel, John chapter 13, 14, and 15, a lot of information about how he empowers us through uh, the Spirit who is to come. He teaches us as his disciples to abide in him, to live in him each and every moment of each day. He tells us to remain in his love. He tells us to obey his teaching. He asks, uh, asks us to, when we pray, pray in belief, trusting God to empower his answer to our prayers and to make things happen according to his will. And then we're told to re- align ourselves to the Spirit of God and to uh, uh, step with him in, in towards God's purposes. And then the fourth question is, what does it mean to always do the right thing in my relationships with others? And this is a, a real question of, of application to our lives. Uh, how do we make sure that we're always doing the right thing, even though we know, we, 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 we know what the right thing is, sometimes we need help with that and some wisdom from God in particular situations. But then he, uh, he, he asks us to do a number of things, to prepare ourselves through worship, through reading, through study, through asking for forgiveness for our shortcomings, for preparing for the situations that we might come across in our trying to be good and coming across ungood situations that plague us. We need to practice being good and kind. And by practice, it's like the athlete who prepares for the race. When your brain is trained to repetitively sink the basket as a three-pointer from the center line, or the Blue Jays maybe hitting a home run, they do it because their, their minds are trained to do that one thing. And what we need to do is practice being kind. For when the time comes when we're outside of our home, where we practice it, say, or in church where we practice it, when we get out in the world and someone is very unkind to us, as a key verse said, don't return evil for evil or wrong for wrong, but replace it with goodness and the kindness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then, of course, go out and do it. I think we're out of time. I apologize to the musical team for their last song. Let's just close our meeting in a word of prayer. I'm going to ask our brother Dave Jay if he would come up and do that for us. Oh, Heavenly Father, we have been challenged this morning as we have heard of this standard to which we acknowledge in and ourselves we fall so very short. We acknowledge, O oh Lord, that uh, we are weak, but we can say with the Apostle Paul, when I'm weak, then am I strong, because your power is made perfect in our weakness. And so, Lord, we acknowledge again that kindness and goodness are such a challenging quality to walk with because they are in contradiction, it seems, to righteousness and truth, the justice and the injustices. And so the kindness and love that you showed us with is always in balance with that great righteousness and holiness, and we fall so short on both sides of the fence. 
And so, Lord, we just acknowledge again that you are great. You alone are God. And that we cannot walk this way if we but walk in the flesh. We are grateful that when the fruit of the Spirit was described, uh, Paul didn't stop there with talking about these qualities which are so difficult. But then he went on to say, but we crucify the flesh and its passion thereof. And that we walk by the Spirit and not by the flesh. And so, Lord, let's put on the Lord Jesus Christ, even as we go from this place. May we walk dressed in him, walking as he walked. And it's not a mechanical thing. We could have ten rules to walk like Jesus, and we'd be breaking the first rule in two seconds. So let us, Lord, live in the liberty that is found in Jesus Christ, walking in love, walking in forgiveness, and walking as you would have us to do so. We can't do this in and of ourselves. And so we pray, as we've reminded again of this special day called the Day of Pentecost, we were reminded that it is only through the power of your Holy Spirit that we can so walk. And Lord, that you might just breathe upon us. That like Ezekiel was experienced in the Old Testament times, and he looked upon that valley of dry bones, and he, and he just said, can these live? It was the question that was asked. And he said, you know, O Lord. And the Lord said to him, breathe upon uh, those bones and speak to the bones. And so, Lord, we pray that you might speak to our bones today and that you might breathe upon us through the power of your Holy Spirit so that we might truly live. Lord, there may be amongst us one who's been living, maybe many of us who have been living just according to the flesh, even as Christians. Lord, may you empower us to realize there is nothing good in the flesh and that you alone can live through us. And as we go forth from this place, Lord, may there be fruit, fruit that would abide, fruit that would remain, and fruit that would be bring glory to you and to your Son. And so, Lord, bless us now as we separate. We give you our thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.